Good morning, good morning, good morning. Man, um, that was rich. I don't know another word to describe it other than that was rich. That worship was rich. It was full because I believe it came from a place of depth. I feel like like there's some there's some heaviness, and I think Corey said this last week, there is some heaviness that we are carrying about with us. And so when there's heaviness within us, like the song says, our only weapon against that is what? Our praise. And so I feel like there was some people walking in here with some heaviness, and the only thing you have to give is your praise. And it was felt. It says, and if our God is with us, then who could ever stop us? If our God is with us, then what can stand against how appropriate. Good morning, y'all. Um, I'm glad to be here with you. Who else is glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. So um, my name is Deshaun, otherwise known as Dish. Uh, I'm the associate pastor here, uh, and I get the privilege of continuing us on in our series. Corey is, is uh, suffering for Jesus in California. Pray for that man suffering for Jesus. out. They're doing the, doing the Lord's work eating taco truck food and such. Um, but we get to roll on into our series, Church Clothes. Uh, everybody say church clothes. Okay, so if you were not here with us last week, for, this, for those of you who missed it or if this is your first time here, we are going through this series called Church Clothes. We are focusing on spiritual warfare. And we are going through Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10 through 18. We're walking through it very deliberately, very slowly, because this is a very important passage to understand if you are walking with Jesus. Spiritual warfare is real. We are at war. Yes, I want everybody to say, we are at war. We are at war. Yes, we are at war. It, we are not in a physical war. We're not, we're not fighting flesh and blood, as the passage says. We are at war with the spiritual realm. We are at war with, with evil beings, evil powers that we cannot see with our eyes. Now, if that freaks you out, good. Because, it's, because there's, some, there's some, some sense that we've gotten a little bit too, too nonchalant about the way we go about our faith. And I think this, this series helps us to ground ourselves back into the reality that we are not here just for the physical or the immediate. We are here for the eternal. Amen? All right. So uh, let me set some context um, about where we are. Last week, Corey kind of he got us started on this, uh, on this passage uh, in verse 10 through 13, and I get to cover verse 14 today, actually just half of verse 14. So um, I'm going to really, really get into that half. We're not going to mess around. I'm going to get into every single letter and word and iota, everything, right? But we're told by Jesus and his disciples about this war. Um, we're, we're told that we're fighting against this enemy that we cannot see with physical eyes, but one that definitely leaves behind the evidence of deception division, and ultimately destruction, right? The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter in Ephesians, he wrote it to a church in Ephesus, and he was imprisoned uh, at the time in, in, a Roman, in a Roman prison and most likely was chained to uh, a Roman soldier. Now, he writes this letter from prison not knowing whether he is going to live or die. All that he knows is that he has to express the depths of his love and wisdom to the church that he's leaving behind. He's been with this church for three years in Ephesus. He's grown relationships. He knows families. He's seen, he's seen kids grow up, maybe, and come to know Christ in those three years. And he loves this church. And so he starts out the letter 
to them by saying all praise to God the Father of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united in Christ. That's how he starts off the letter. First of all, if I'm chained in prison, um, I'm going I'm to need all of the Holy Spirit to say all praise, right? Chained to a Roman. This wasn't a 21st century prison. This was a Roman prison. I don't even know what they had as far as commissary or, or, or provisions. I don't think they had all that. You ate what was given to you. you. You maybe went to the bathroom somewhere else. Not really sure. This is not a fun situation. This is not a light situation, but in the midst of that suffering, he is still able to utter praise. He says, look, I'm, co- I'm in here in this heaviness, in this darkness, in this pit, and I don't know when I'm going to walk out of here. I don't know if I'm going to walk out of here, but all praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He ends the letter. He keeps on going. If you go through, if you have not read through the letter of Ephesians, I encourage you, it is one of the most in-depth and rich Uh, text that there is on how the church should function and what our role is, how we should engage with each other, and what our relationship with God the Father is. So if you do not, if you have not had a chance to do so, I tell you, go back, take some time to go through it. But he, he ends it with where we are today. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There's a little bit of a theme going through that beginning and that ending. Anybody tell me what that theme is? It's the spiritual. It's the spiritual. Paul barely talks about the physical things in here. I don't think he mentions it in the beginning and the end. He understands that there's a reality apart from the physical, that has influence on our lives both here and now, and and then eternally as well. This is the first step to understanding, to grasping the truth that is the gospel message of Jesus. So I always do this with every sermon that I preach. I go to the definition of the word or the theme because I'm I'm a nerd like that. It's okay. I own it. Um, Yes, hallelujah, somebody else a nerd. Nerd out with me. Nerds forever. Um, so the word truth, that's what we're focusing on today, the word truth. Everybody say truth. truth. Say truth. truth. If you have to say it with an F at the end, say truth. truth. Okay. The word truth means corresponding or it according to reality. That's what truth means. It's corresponding or according to reality. Now, I feel like we're, yeah, I don't know how many of you guys um, feel like the, the concept of reality has, has been a little bit lost, right? Um, how many of you guys watch, watch uh, The Bachelor? Bachelor in Paradise? Lost, what is it? Lost Island? Um, what is it? Paradise Island? Yeah, y'all need Jesus. We all do, but you especially, right? No. <laughs> So these these shows they're they're what they're reality they're trash they're reality TV right reality TV okay so the only thing that I've ever seen that's reality on there is is the producers in the background making things happen stirring things up right Chris in the background like hey hey these you know go over here like like there's just so much unreality to make you think it's reality but people live into these things and and they invest their times I mean. People even get into the Bachelor Fantasy Leagues. Who would do that? 
Not me, certainly. But these shows are not reality. They're not reality. Nobody lives that way. And, and, and I, I just have to think that these relationships, don't, they don't really correspond to reality, right? But the first step of, of understanding the message of Jesus is to know what the truth is. What is it that is corresponding to reality? And the thing that I see is we are alive, again, from more than just the physical. That's the reality I see Jesus coming to show us. He says, you're not living here for this temporal life. You are to live for your earthly and heavenly purpose. You are a son of God. You are a son and daughter of God. Life is for more than just our pleasures, our desires, ambitions, or dreams. We are created to imitate God, and Jesus shows us how. But the unseen enemy, uh, in the Bible he's called, he's called the Satan, if you, if, you, if you translate it correctly, the Satan or the accuser or Hasatan. In the Bible, the devil, he's a master of lies, and he's clever in the way that he manipulates the truth just enough to turn us away from the truth, to turn us away from God. Y'all remember the series, the Lit series? For those of you who are in the Lit series, how we talked about when there's a light bulb, all it takes is just a, just a slight turn, and you have darkness. And that's what the devil does in our minds. He takes that light that God has placed there, and he just just twists it a little bit, and then all of a sudden you have darkness. In Genesis 3, we see how he does this to Adam and Eve, and he, he, he slithers up to Eve, and he doesn't come at her with aggression. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, destroy her with his arguments. All he does is plant a question, a simple question, an idea. He lays a seed of an idea in her mind, and that seed then begins to grow, and it leads to action. And that action then leads to sin. And that sin then leads to the destruction of the relationship that there was between the created and the creator from a simple idea. We see him trying to do the same thing in Luke 4 to Jesus. So we see how he deceives Adam and Eve. And then we see him in Luke 4 coming to Jesus. And, he, and Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, it says. And he was tempted there by the devil for 40 days. And when he's in the wilderness, the devil comes up to him, and what does he do? Does he destroy him? Does he attack him physically? Does he send disease and calamity? No. He plants ideas. He tries to plant ideas. He starts out by saying, if you are the son of God. It's a very subtle, I mean, it's a two-letter word, but man, that's a powerful word. If you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. I have to tell you, I like to eat. I mean, it may not look like it, but it's because of my Kenyan metabolism. I like to eat. He said, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. And if I had that power, I might have, I might have given in. And I might have been like, let's make that a s- something more than bread, maybe cake. I'd have gotten silly with it. Just Let's, let's, let's not stop at bread. Let's get something. Like, that's how our minds work. But Jesus was able to repel him. And he says, man was created to, to live on more than bread, right? And so the devil tries again. He comes back at him. He says, I will give you glory if you will just bow down. I'm going to give you everything. I have authority to hand you the, the whole world. Just bow down. Just give it up. You're weak. You're tired. It's okay. Like, I can give it all to you. And Jesus says, well, you, you worship the Lord your God alone gives him back the truth. The devil comes back around and says, okay, he's using the scriptures. 
to repel me. So maybe I can use the scriptures to, to trip him up. So he says, look, it says in the word, in Psalm 92, he says, uh, Psalm 91, it says that, you know, he, he will, you, you throw yourself off this building, he will catch you. His angels will lift you up and you won't even strike your foot on a stone. You won't even get hurt, Jesus. His angels are going to come. You know it. And Jesus says, you, the scripture says, you will not tempt the Lord your God. So if you're going through some kind of testing like this, what I see Jesus doing is understanding his identity, understanding the history of how he came to be, understanding the tricks of the devil, and then knowing the truth so that he can combat the lies. Amen? If you're going through testing, if you're going through some sort of hardship, and I know, I know that there's some people in here going through, you may be sitting here going, man, I, I really didn't even want to be here. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what my family's going through. I, I want to let you know that if you are going through this kind of tempting, you, you're, you're in good company. You're in good company. I know it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't feel like it. But the enemy sees you as a threat when you are following. I'm, I'm going to say this. When you are following the Lord and you're being attacked. Now, if you're not following Jesus and you're being attacked, I'm going to say get, get close to Jesus. Because if, if you are following Jesus and being attacked, you have some hope. If you're, follow, if you're not following Jesus and you're being attacked, where's your hope? Where's your hope? So if you're following Jesus, if you're trying to be faithful to him, if you're submitting and surrendering your life to him, and you feel like you are being attacked, you feel like everything is just falling apart, hold strong, you are in good company. The enemy sees you as a threat. But don't forget that even the Son of God had to be baptized, he fasted, he prayed, was prepared before he was out in the wilderness to be tempted. Don't expect it to be any different for you and me. Don't expect it to be any different. Which brings to the passage we're sharing today about preparation. Right? Jesus prepared himself. He, he, he knew the truth and he prepared himself with it before he went into temptation, into, into battle. So we're in Ephesians 6.14. If you have your Bibles, your digital Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 6.14. Brace yourselves. You're going to be in this for a long time. It's a long passage. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. This is the... Um, NLT version. No, this is ESV version. Awesome. Yeah. So ESV version. Uh, so it says, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. I'm not reading the rest of it because that's not what I'm, um, Corey's talking about that next week. I can't get into the breastplate of righteousness. That's a whole nother sermon. We just got to focus on the belt of truth. I couldn't like break the passage up, otherwise I would have, but this is where we're at. Stand. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, there's several different versions. There's the NLT, there's the ESV, there's the CSV, there's the KJV. The KJV, the King James Version, is probably my favorite one, and here's why. I'm a visual person. I, I learned this about myself. I mean, I, I knew it before, but I, I, I knew it before, but now I, I know it even more so. I'm not left-brained. There's left-brained people who are very logical and, and just like, this is how you think. And, and that's not me. I'm right-brained. I'm disorganized. My mind is like sparkles and, and, I mean, just all over the place most of the time. I have to work really hard, and the Holy Spirit has done so to comprise a message that actually makes sense. Hallelujah. <laughs> but my right-brainedness says, when I see this, I want to I see a picture. I want to visualize it. 
I want to I want to like put it into my mind and that's how I will understand it best. So the KJV version says this. Stand therefore having girt your lo- having your loins girt about you with truth. Woo. Yeah, right? What? Stand therefore having your loins girt about you with truth. Yeah. Now, what that means it's not what you think it means, but, but it, it is what, 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 it, what you think it means in this sense. In the KJV version, what it meant to gird your loins, and you see this passage in different places. And 1 Peter talks about it as well. It says, gird, your loin, gird the loins of your mind. Like it talks about, about this, this picture of someone who would be wearing a, a tunic, right? So in, in the Roman uh, Empire at this time, when, when Paul would have been writing this, this would have made a whole lot of sense. They wore these fantastic tunics, right? Men wore these tunics. They didn't have pants at that time. A matter of fact, the Roman Empire kind of looked down on pants. They thought they were feminine, interestingly enough. They wore a tunic, which was like a dress for guys, but it was a linen cloth that you wore underneath your clothes, and it hung down most of the time below your knees. Now, this tunic was supposed to be very comfortable and practical, whatever. However, if you are a soldier or if you are a laborer, this tunic can get in your way a little bit. You're walking around. I mean, I've never, well, no, that's not true. I have worn a dress once for a, a charity event. Um, it was Relay for Life, I promise. It was, we made money for cancer, so stop judging. But, this, but I've worn a dress before, and I've walked in a dress. We did this, this, this little ra- race around the track, and it is uncomfortable to wear a dress and try to run. I, ladies, I mean, Lord have mercy. If you were in a situation where, you, I mean, I see why people hike up their dresses and run. Like, it's, it's not easy, right? So this tunic is like a dress that goes down below your knees. And so if you are a soldier or if you're a laborer and you need to move quickly, that's a very, it's a very constricting type of situation, right? So the, the, the phrase gird your loins or having your loins girt about with truth means you take the excess. Stay with me now. You take the excess that is tripping you up, that has the potential to get you into trouble. You take that excess and you cinch it up behind and then you wrap it around you tightly so that you can move with freedom. When he says gird your loins or having your loins gird about you, it's saying pull up the excess. Get that excess out of the way so that you can move and be ready. If the enemy comes at you and tries to push you, you are ready. That's what Paul is trying to communicate. What kind of excess are you allowing to trip you up? What kind of excess are you allowing to keep you from being prepared? He says, be ready. Get rid of the excess. Cinch up the belts. Tighten up. Be ready. For what? To combat the accuser. The accuser who lies about your identity. He lies about your worth. Lies about your purpose. He lies to you about your community, your family. More often than not, what it seems like to me is that we as Christians, we've forgotten our belts at home. We left our belts at home. We're all out here in the world walking around. Our tunics are tripping us up, and we have nothing to, nothing to cinch it up with. We're all loose out here, just got our belts hanging at home, or we've got them with us, and they're just slung over our shoulders, not doing anything. When it's time to stand firm, we can't. We're tripping up on the excess of our tunic, the excess of our comparison, compromise, confusion. 
We're more concerned about how we look to others and, and how, how we can achieve success, worldly success. Or how, how to achieve the dreams that we've constructed for ourselves. We've got all this excess tripping us up. Or we have a shallow understanding of the truth. And so we let whatever comes along that sounds good to our ears, we let that carry us along and trip us up. If it sounds beneficial to us, if it sounds good, it's got to be the truth. You know, somebody said that, you know, nobody ever, you know, nobody ever purposefully sinned um, as a duty. It's not like you're like, man, I've got to go sin. Man, I was really hoping I'd have time to read the Bible, but it's my time to sin. I got to go curse this person out of the store. And after that, man, I forgot that I got to. Watch that reality TV show. <laughs> See how I came back to that? No, nobody does it out of a, out of a duty. We do it because it, it feels good to us or it benefits us in some way, correct? And so we, we take these lies that sound like the truth enough that they benefit us. And so we, we, we say those are the truth. No, that's not the truth. The truth is in here. The truth is Jesus. Yet we call ourselves Christians at times when we do that. I know I, I, you can't relate to this, right? I, I can't either. Never done that. But thank God for his grace and mercy. We don't have to stay like this. We don't have to stay enslaved to deception, to the excess of our lives. See, Jesus speaks about this self-deception in John 8. And this is where we're going to get into, into the, this is one of my favorite passages, um, into, into, uh, kind of discovering what self-deception does to us. So he speaks about this to a bunch of self-righteous li- religious leaders and people who just recently decided to follow him. He speaks to them about, uh, about their identity. So John 8, 31 uh, is where we're going to read from. We're going to 45, so this is going to take a little bit longer. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. Liars. How is it that you say you will become free? First of all, anybody who's read the Old Testament understands that that is just like lack of historical knowledge, right? They're like constantly enslaved to people. All right. Uh, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. There's another translation that says you have no room for my word. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They're thinking our father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. We just told you that. Jesus said, no. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father, the works your father did. They say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Now, in the translation of this, you need to understand that they're, they're, they're digging at Jesus. 
This is a shot at Jesus. They know who he is. They know his story, that, that he's purportedly born of a virgin. Like, they know all this. He's claiming to be the son of God, your virgin birth, all this. And they're, sh- they're, they're taking a shot at him. And they're saying, we are not bastards. The translation on that, to be more, more blunt, would be, we are not bastards like you. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word or it is because you can't hear me. You are the father. You are you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Another translation says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Woo! Jesus went for it. Yeah, you said so there. Excuse me for a moment, I'm parched. Okay, so how many of you have seen the movie A Few Good Men? Like two, three, and all of you were born like, man, come on. Oh, sorry, I saw you, Evan. So A Few Good Men was a movie that came out um, in 1992. I was four years old. Many of you were not born. This movie has, has a great storyline, right? Uh, it has a, 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 a lieutenant named uh, Caffey, but he's played by Tom Cruise. Um, and then it has this, this sergeant named, uh, uh, oh, uh, shoot, what's his name? Jeff, Jeff Nicholson. Well, it's Jack Nicholson. Yeah, but his character is Jack Nicholson. I don't remember his name in the movie. Go watch it and find out yourself. But to- Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. They're kind of going at each other, right? Jack Nicholson has apparently ordered some sort of punitive you know, punishment for one of his soldiers because he wanted to keep order, right? He'd done something. He wanted to punish him. He ordered this thing. This guy died. So Tom Cruise's job is to find out what happened, get to the truth, right? So the movie climaxes at this point. They're in court. Jack Nicholson's sitting back, smug. He's like, why am I here? Why are you questioning me? You've got no right questioning me. Tom Cruise is going at, he's really close. He's like, I know I'm, I'm right there at the truth. And he's going at him, he's going at him. And then, and then he says, did you order the code red? It's called a code red. Did you order the code red? He says, he says, you want answers? Did you order code red? He says, you want the, you, what do you want? We want answers? He says, I want the truth. He says, you can't handle the truth. It's classic. Love it. Gotta see it. That line it makes me think of this encounter with Jesus and these, these people that are questioning him. They're, they're you know, peppering him with these questions. Who are you? Who's your father? Who's your father? And he responds back like, you don't really want the truth. Do you want the truth? I'll give you the truth. And he goes on to give them the truth about themselves. He tells them that, that they, they don't really want the truth because they're comfortable staying in the, in the mode that they're in. The truth is too inconvenient for them. The truth, the truth is too convicting, and so they would rather just have it as it is and have a false sense of reality, have an untruth that they hold as a truth. 
See, the, the disciples of Jesus, you know, he says in this passage, he said, the disciples, if you are true disciples of mine, you follow my teachings, you stay faithful to my teachings and you don't just know the word, because these religious teachers and these people saying that they that they that they they knew who their father was, they knew the scriptures. They had studied the scriptures. But what they had was this head knowledge. They didn't have any heart knowledge. They didn't have experience. They had not received the Holy Spirit within them to transform them, to understand and perceive between truth and falsehood. And so Jesus is pointing out, he's saying, you're living in untruth. You think you are living in truth. I am the truth. Yet you are trying to kill the truth. You can't handle it. To know the truth and to accept the truth are different. To know Jesus, you need to know the scriptures. So point one was truth is freedom. So the truth that Jesus gives is freedom. But if you don't want true freedom, you're not going to want the truth, right? Have you come to accept the teachings of Jesus, or do you just know them up here? Do you know a bunch of Bible passages, but you don't really live them? John 5.39 says, the scriptures point to me. Jesus says, you guys keep searching the scriptures and pouring for answers. You're looking for a savior. I am the truth. The scriptures point to me. But in order to accept that truth, they had to have a posture of humility and surrender in order to be free. They couldn't have this head knowledge and think that they knew better than Jesus. And yet these believers thought that they knew better than Jesus. These believers. But Jesus says, if you know and you accept the truth, then you will be free. Free from what? From darkness, from falsehood, from continued slavery to sin, from self-deception, and from deception by Satan. My friend uh, D. Lou, David Lewis, um, posted this this link to uh, a podcast. It's a Bridgetown podcast, and um, and it's a church out in Portland. But it has a sermon on the flesh, the world, and the devil. Right, and he breaks down kind of this spiritual reality that that we're dealing with, and he and he, he speaks specifically about Satan's end goal. He says Satan's end goal is to tear down and destroy everything God created. And man, do we see that? Like it's visible. Like do, do you not see the, the deception and, and the destruction that, that is left in the wake of what Satan's doing? His goal is to tear down everything that God has created. And the means that he goes about it is with lies. Not necessarily disease or affliction or catastrophe. Instead, he infiltrates the mind with ideas, like I said. And, and, and he gives you an idea about who you are. He gives you an idea about how other people are. And he gives you an idea about who God is. And he, he plants this idea like, you aren't really worthy. Like, you don't deserve love. You know what? If people knew what you did, man, can you believe what they would think? He gives you ideas about other people. Like, look at how they're looking at you. You know they're judging you. Look at the, That's just like them. Those people, that's just how they do. He plants ideas in our minds about God himself. Like he did to Adam and Eve. He says, God doesn't really want you to be successful. God wants you to suffer. God wants you to have pain. God wants you to just, just live a life of, of, of misery. He plants these ideas in our minds and they become, they become our reality. 
when they're really not. They're untruths. So in this, in this understanding that when Satan lies, he's speaking his native language, that's what we're seeking freedom from, from those lies, from those ideas. We want freedom. For, he, Jesus says he'll give us freedom from, from the constant desire to do what we want. From the, he'll, he'll give us freedom to follow God and be the person that God created us to be. See, Satan doesn't want you to live into who God created you to be because, because that, that would then, what? It would, it would, what, challenge his authority? It would tear down his kingdom? If you live into who God meant you to be with all of your history, with all of your flaws, with all of your baggage, but you, but, but you say, God, take all of this and, and form me into who you want me to be, then you are a threat. You are a threat to your family. Who doesn't believe you are a threat to the community around you that wants to wants to just it seems like it wants to to keep you down. You're a threat to the darkness and the evil. And it's not the people, the place or the things in your life. It's the ideas. Do you really want the truth, though, to be free? So I've got to stop here and just put this aside that if you are here this morning and, and you feel like you maybe have bought into the lies that Satan has put in your minds, that you feel like you are enslaved to sin and you don't know how to really get out of it. You've tried everything you can within your own power, but you still feel like you're being restrained from being fully who you are. You're being mastered by sin. Jesus says, trust in me, be faithful to me, and I can break this power over you. Just come ready and humble. Just come ready and humble before Jesus, and he can break any power over you. I know from experience. I know Corey knows from experience. Candace, I know you know from experience. We all can attest to some degree that God has brought us out of something because of his power, but we have to come humble and ready before him. It brings me to my second point. The truth prepares you. Don't worry, I only have three points, not like six. You'd be like, well, it's point two of six. The truth prepares you. Jesus says to these religious teachers, there's no room in your hearts for my message. You haven't made room. They weren't prepared to receive the good news, and they were definitely not ready to combat the lies that would confront them, their families, or their communities. See, in 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth, um, he says that we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to destroy strongholds of human reasoning, false arguments, proud obstacles, Rebellious thoughts. You can't use a weapon you don't have, though. You cannot use a weapon you don't have. Have you gotten close to the Father? Have you spent time in the presence of God the Father? Have you spent time in the Word, understanding His character, knowing who He is? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to you and remind you of the teachings of Jesus? In John 16, he says, the Holy Spirit will come. He's an agent, and he will remind you of everything I've taught you. Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to remind you of who Jesus is? Are you praying? Do you talk to God? I'm not talking about, like, I'm talking about hours on end on your knees, on your bed. Like, no, I'm, I'm talking about, like, daily in the everyday. When that guy or that, or that lady, I don't be stereotypical, cuts you off in traffic. Equal opportunity cut off. 
when that situation at work seems like, man, I, I'm the only one here who feels this way. When you feel isolated, when you feel alone, are you just, just have a conversation with God. Are you talking to him? Because he's talking to you. He wants you to listen, though. That's how you wield the weapons that we're talking about here. That's how you clothe yourself with the truth. Get close to Jesus. Get to know the word. Get to know who he is. Not just for the sake of memory, knowledge, scripture, memorization, but for knowing the character of God. Someone going into a conflict without the right equipment, they're going to end up dead, right? 1 Peter 5.8 says that uh, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. If you're willing to be unprepared, you're about to get torn up. You will not be able to stand. You'll be lost to false arguments, proud obstacles, rebellious thoughts, and strongholds of human reasoning. Now, reminds me of how we hear but don't listen sometimes. I've got this four-year-old son, wonderful kid. I'm not going to pick on Theo today. Today it's time to talk about Judah. Yes. I will get to Shiloh at some point. I just haven't found the right thing to talk to her. <clears throat> so I have four kids. Um, my third child is named Judah, and he is uh, just a bundle of joy and energy and mischief. Like, he'll smile while he's doing the sweetest thing. He'll also smile while he's completely ignoring what I'm saying. Or beating up on his sister or his younger brother. He just, just smile all the time. But Judah, one of the things that I've come to, I, like, I got to work on it, is <clears throat> Judah does not hear. He just doesn't hear us. Like, he, he hears us, but he doesn't hear us. You know what I'm saying? So I'll, Judah's run, he runs around. He started this thing where he just takes laps. You know, if you've been to our house, it's just like kind of a, like there's a circular living room, kitchen, but there's like a wall in between. He just, he just takes laps. Gets a dog to chase him. And I'm like, Judah, stop running. Judah, stop running. Like he hears me. I'm like, Judah, you're going to get yourself hurt. Stop running. He hears me. I know he hears me because he like looks out the side of his eye and he's smiling. <laughs> like, boy, I know you hurt. Next thing, Judah's falls down, gets hurt. He heard me, but he wasn't listening. And I feel like I'm justified as a parent to say, I told you so, but I don't. All I say is, what did you learn? And he says, my foot hurts. What is your posture before God when he's speaking to you? What is your posture when the Holy Spirit is convicting you? Are you running around and you're hearing, but you're not listening? Are you listening? Because only really by listening and doing the word of God, like James says, do we get transformation. Listen and do. You get transformed from being a slave into a son and daughter when you listen. Brings me to my last point. The truth transforms you. The truth transforms you. On June 19th, 1865, Federal troops arrived to Galveston, Texas, to take control of the state following the end of the Civil War. They wanted to ensure that all enslaved people would be freed. Now, in reality, the, the, the Confederate General Robert E. Lee had surrendered in Virginia about two months prior to this. But progress had been a little slow. They were advancing into the South, and people hadn't heard the news yet. 
But this didn't mean that all slaves experienced that freedom when General Lee surrendered, right? Um, as a matter of fact, even before that, two years before that, the great Abraham Lincoln had signed this thing that we have come to know as the Emancipation Proclamation, which was a declaration to the United States that said that it was no longer acceptable or legal within the union of the United States to own a slave. Two years. But the fighting had continued and those slave-owning states, the slave owners in those states made sure to suppress the truth from their slaves. Cut down on the news. They made sure word couldn't travel. They wanted to make sure nobody knew the truth, that they were free. Held them in bondage for two years. As the fighting went further into the South, some slave owners moved into Texas. Great old Texas, the Lone Star State. Because it was a safe haven. No, no shade to anybody who's from Texas. It's just that literally named yourself the Lone Star State. Like you're isolating yourself and you were like the last holdout to slavery. No shade. So, slave owners moved to the state of Texas because it had become a, a safe haven for those wanting to continue enslaving other human beings. The enslaved people in Galveston on that June day likely had no idea that their lives were about to change. But when the U.S. General Granger, he stood up and he read these words, the people of Texas are informed that by order of the president, all slaves are free. Can you imagine the feeling? of uncertainty, the skepticism, the hesitation, maybe the hope that, that turned into unrestrained joy when they saw that that declaration was actually reality. Exactly. Amen. Can you imagine the feeling that they had, that they were transformed, the truth that was read by General Granger the truth that had been there for two years already but had been suppressed from them, the truth that for two months really had been effectively, their freedom had been won, but they had been enslaved a little bit longer. The truth transformed them from slaves into who they always had been, sons and daughters created in God's image. We still have people living in slavery in our city or cities if you live outside of Canton. We still have people living in slavery in our neighborhoods. And the shackles may not be physical. The plantations may not be physical. The, the abuse, the whip marks may not be physical. But they are real. We've got people living in slavery in this church this morning. Somebody came in here as a slave, enslaved to sin, enslaved to comparison, enslaved to, 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 de to deception. we got whole families that are still locked up in chains of generational poverty and addiction and hopelessness. These are chains. They need someone to say, by order of God, through Jesus Christ, all slaves are free. Forget what people think of you. Forget what people are going to say. Forget your reputation. This truth is entirely too important to hold to yourself. The truth has been suppressed for long enough. We need to set some people free by the power of Jesus. You may not have even known you were enslaved. Came in here this morning thinking you were going to hear an uplifting, powerful word. I hope this uplifts you. 
I hope it uplifts you to know that you are free. Some of you may have thought there would never be the day that you would live without the bondage of sin, comparison, fear, despair. Jesus has set you free. Somebody may be thinking this can't apply to me. Not to me, certainly not to me. You would know what I've done, what I've been through. Jesus has set you free. And, and I don't stand up here as someone who can just speak these words and, and like put this message together because I have not experienced this. I have been reminded of this daily, and I continue to be reminded of this truth daily. Jesus has set me free. I have been enslaved to pride. I have been enslaved to comparison. I have been enslaved to people pleasing. I have been enslaved to, to lust and sexual sin. I have been enslaved to these chains. I know these things. It can feel impossible. It may look like it's impossible, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. These words, they're not just words. This is how we fight against the spiritual battle that we're, that's raging around us. When Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. You are not a slave any longer. You are a son. You are a daughter of the God Most High. You are part of the family forever. Forever. And every day that you remember this truth and live in this truth, you're fighting back the lies of the accuser. This is the truth that we need to gird up around ourselves, cinch up tight, close to our bodies every single day as we stand against the lies of the enemy. The last passage I'm going to read from is from the letter in Romans 3.23 that Paul writes that encapsulates this. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, yet God, but God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of sin. So my, my challenge to you this morning as a worship team comes back up as we finish. My, my encouragement, first of all, let me start by that. I'll encourage you first, then I'll challenge you about that. My encouragement to you is that whatever you walked in here with, whether you have a, a, a high view of yourself or a low view of yourself, I want, I want to encourage you that God views you just as you should be. God doesn't see you any less. God doesn't see you any more than anybody else. He sees you just as you should be, and that is a son and daughter. That is a created, beautiful son and daughter. Whatever trauma you may have been through, whatever you may have done, the truth that I see in this word is that everybody has fallen short. Everybody falls short. That should be translated, everybody falls short. Because it's not a one-time thing. By the grace of God, I have not fallen short as of this moment. I may fall short as I leave out the door. However, the grace of God surrounds me like a belt. The truth of God surrounds me tight and reminds me that I can stand against the lies. I could stand against the ideas that the devil tries to implant. So I want to encourage you, hold on to that truth. My challenge to you is this. 
Get to know the Father. Get to know the Word of God because that is the reflection of His character. How do you know God? Spending time with Him, receiving His teachings. How do you know His teachings? Get in that Word. And not just by yourself. Surround yourself with some people who are hungry to know about Him too so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be uplifted, so that you can be challenged, so that those lies that you're starting to believe, somebody else can look at and say, that's a lie. What do you mean? What do you mean? That's not truth. That's not what I see in here. Let's walk through this together. 